This week on You Should Be Watching, we're joined by special guest and writer of Rogue One, Gary Whitta. We decide what the best Star Wars viewing order is, we talk about the Hellraiser series coming to HBO, and we also list our favorite fantasy films of all time. That's all this week on You Should Be Watching. Welcome to a new episode of You Should Be Watching. This week we have a special guest, two special guests. We've got Lucy James and Gary Whitta. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for joining us today. Hello. Hi, thank you for having us. Thanks for coming. And Ryan, of course. Ryan, how are you doing? How's puppy life? Puppy life is great. Um, Finn is uh, kind of getting used to sleeping normal normal hours. So um, it's getting better week, week uh, you know, day by day. We actually <laughs> took him to the beach recently, and that was Ooh. fun, um, keeping our distance, obviously. But uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting. Nice. All right, so since we have guests today, we always ask two questions. The first one is, who are you and what do you do? Lucy, people have probably seen you on this channel, but if mm -hmm. they haven't, please tell us who you are and what you do at GameSpot. Sure. Um, I am a senior video producer over at GameSpot. I have appeared on GSU many times over the years. Um, you'll probably know me from doing Westworld breakdowns uh, with Tamor. Ryan helps out on those two, um, mm -hmm. as well as Game of Thrones, GameSpot of Thrones. I just pop up all over the place, but usually I just I just make videos about games and stuff. Yeah, you are everywhere, and you're doing a lot of news these days, uh, which is yes. great and very exciting. So please check out her shows. She's got uh, two shows actually. Mm -hmm. So one's Good News Gaming, which is great, and then we're both co-hosting our daily news show called Safe State. Yes. Uh, so Monday to Friday, Gamespot, YouTube. <laughs> it's, we'll put a link in. All right, and Gary, our guest of honor today, tell us who you are and what you do for those that may not be familiar. Hi, I'm Gary Witter. I used to uh, be a, a games journalist uh, back in the night. I'm very old. Back in the 90s, I was editor-in-chief of PC Gamer magazine. Uh, and then somehow or another, I fell into a whole second career um, as a screenwriter. I write film and television mostly these days. I wrote the movie The Book of Eli. I co-wrote Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Uh, I've also worked for Star Wars Rebels and various other things in the Star Wars universe. Um, and that's kind of most, that's my day job. But recently I've been getting, uh, just as a sideline, as a hobby, doing a lot of Twitch streaming. And that seems to be taking up uh, more and more of my time. I'm wondering if I should just jack in my day job and just become a professional Twitch streamer. <laughs> Yeah, go for it, right? Uh, yes, yeah, so you've just been doing um, a lot of Animal Crossing streams and you have a new talk show. Do you want to plug that? Yeah, I, so I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing and I thought it would be a fun game to stream. I started a stream every day, twitch.tv slash Gary Witter, Animal Crossing mornings with Gary, 9 a.m. I play for, for an hour or two. It's just become a fun way to start my day. And then over just, just over this weekend, I thought it would be I don't know how the idea came to me, but I decided to build um, a virtual talk show set in my Animal Crossing basement in my that house. That is so cool. Um, it's awesome. kind, of, you know, kind of riffing off the, you know, the Tonight Show and Letterman and Larry Sanders and all the classic talk shows. And uh, we did a couple of pilot episodes over the weekend and it's been a big hit and we're broadcasting again tonight. We're going to get uh, musical guests, stand-up comedy. We're doing, it's a whole big experiment. Can we actually create and broadcast live on Twitch a, a genuine late night talk show uh, that takes place entirely within Animal Crossing? It's a super fun idea, and I don't know, if you're like me, you've been spending a lot of time uh, at home playing Animal Crossing. That's been the bulk of your time. Lucy, I know you've been playing too. Oh yes, a lot. <laughs> Although, I almost I almost missed my turnips yesterday, and I remembered at like oh, no. 10 to 12, it's okay. <laughs> Did you get a good price? 94. Not That's bad. Not bad. That's not, not bad. bad. Not bad. Yeah. yeah, mine were 105 this week, so a little tough, but I went to I feel like anything, anything under 92. 95, you're doing okay. Yeah, I agree, completely. What price did you get? Did you get 90? 
I got Gary? 91. I got Ooh, 91. Nice. That's good. That's really good. All right. So the next question, which may be even more important, is we need to know three shows or movies that explain your personality. So let's start with you, Gary. Go ahead and tell us three shows or movies that would explain your personality. I mean, it's going to sound incredibly obvious, but Star Wars obviously is the big one. There's a whole generation of filmmakers who are only filmmakers because they saw Star Wars when they were kids. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely among... Uh, among them. The idea that I would one day actually get to, to write and work and contribute to the Star Wars universe is still something that I find myself pinching uh, myself over every every day. Uh, but it was hugely, hugely influential on me. It really, really kind of opened, opened my eyes up to the possibility of like science fiction and fantasy and all those wonderful things. Um, and then I'm going to go with two very British contributions because I'm, cool. I'm, I'm a Brit. Um, I'm going to go with the Terry Gilliam movie Time Bandits, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, one of the nice. most absolutely <laughs> riotously imaginative and funny uh, science fiction films I've ever seen in my life. And in the same spirit, in the same vein, um, it's technically uh, a radio show and a book and many other things first, but they did make a TV show out of it. I'm going to go with The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's awesome. Mm, nice. oh, yeah. Very good. Love Hitchhiker's Guide. All right, Lucy, same question to you. Three shows or movies that explain your personality. Okay, I would probably say off the bat, uh, Arrested Development mm -hmm. nice. has definitely, I think, encouraged my love of, I've always enjoyed comedy, but I think Arrested Development is the show that made me appreciate a, a sort of smarter comedy. Because on the surface level, it's an absurdist comedy about rich people who are who are dumb and out of touch but then the more you watch it especially it, it's a show that really bears up to repeat viewings and seeing and catching all the hidden jokes and how many layers so many of the jokes have it's incredible so arrested development for sure although weirdly i haven't actually seen the latest season i just couldn't i couldn't bring <laughs> I myself either. to yeah i haven't either i think i saw that first netflix there's two of them right on the netflix yeah seasons? so there was four yeah. and then there was yeah. 5.1 mm. and i think 5.2 is out i just didn't to watch it same yeah. those first three seasons um Solid. so yeah arrested development mm -hmm. and i think futurama i did i had a a go-between in my head whether to pick you know between golden age of simpsons which for me is four to nine mm -hmm. or futurama but i think futurama is consistently funny and it also speaks to you know as a kid i used to love maths i used to love going to school mm -hmm. and so having a show that celebrates you know like maths and science and you know makes you feel i don't know like you're you're smart for getting the joke mm -hmm. also it's just i think it's consistently funnier than the simpsons the simpsons had such a fall Ooh. from grace whereas futurama i think has always been always just maintained its quality even the latest stuff that was on comedy central is still fantastic um and the third one kind of a cheat because we're talking about it a bit later but mm -hmm. the uh, the princess bride yeah. I mean, I have like <laughs> a really nice kind of gilded hard copy illustrated one that my boyfriend got for me last year. It's an incredible book and it is one of the rare book to movie adaptations that just like it shines in whichever format it's in. It's such a good story. It's so well made. And as a kid, I would watch it over and over again. And I was one of those annoying kids who would say inconceivable all the time <laughs> because I heard it in the movie. So that's me. That's great. But yeah, that is good foreshadowing for the rest of the show because our topic of this week is our favorite fantasy movies. We'll get to that a bit later, but first we're going to talk about what's on your TV. All right, so now let's talk about things that we have been watching recently that we would like to recommend to our audience. So Ryan, let's talk to you first. So what have you been watching? I uh, just recently finished Better Call Saul, the, uh, the last uh, season of it. 
incredible oh, season, one oof. of the best uh, seasons of the show. The shows, if you haven't seen it, it's just um, it's hard to follow up uh, with, especially with a prequel of Breaking Bad. But it might even be better than Breaking Bad, which is crazy to say. Um, just the way wow. that the writers have just devised this plan out of where you you think they get stuck into a hole, and then they just come up with a whole new like. An enticing and exciting experience with a character that was kind of on the perimeter of Breaking Bad, uh, just absolutely mm -hmm. incredible. Um, and in the interim, I also, I also found this show called Ninety Day Fiance, which my <laughs> yes. my, my sister in law and brother in law had been watching. And just to kind of escape mm -hmm. the all the like the heavy drama and everything else in the world, I'm just kind of like laughing at this reality show, and it is like wild. The show is insane. Are you watching this season with? Is it Big Ed? I'm seeing a lot of memes about Big Ed. I don't. I don't think I'm in any like type of like order. I'm just kind of like clicking on YouTube TV them. and finding <laughs> random episodes. I don't oh. really watch them like in order oh, and like okay. that. But uh, mm -hmm. what I have seen, I'll tell you guys, it is utterly ridiculous. <laughs> I can't you can't believe that this actually happens like this happens to real people and they actually like do these things but uh it's, it's been a fun little dis distraction yeah I've definitely watched my share of um some reality shows just as a fun distraction yeah. or just like with friends um on Netflix parties and just like mm -hmm. kind of escaping um either just from watching too many serious things or just watching something heavy and I'm like I just want something light and just turn on like what was it we were watching love is blind like all of us on the gs yeah we watched team. that one yeah we, yeah that was amazing <laughs> that was pretty campy all right um gary what are you watching so um this is kind of an older show but it's but it's new again so i think i can bring it bring it back um there's a show on netflix that i think not enough people are talking about called dead to me i don't know if anyone else here <laughs> yes has seen I, it i haven't seen i it. have and it's so good that's a christina applegate show right yeah christina applegate and Ugh. linda cardellini and i think mm -hmm. it's low-key the best written show on television oh, wow. not enough people are talking about it um it's i don't it, it, it's one of those shows that you can barely even talk about without giving away mm -hmm. giving it away i'll just mm -hmm. i'll just i'll tell you this much two two uh two uh women um, Linda, played by Linda Card Cardellini and Christopher Applegate, who are both terrific actors. And they become unlikely best friends. Uh, but one of them has a secret about the other person that they can't possibly tell them because it would destroy the friendship. And so it's kind of like the Breaking Bad of BFFs. Like oh, you're wow. constantly on, like as, as, you're, as you're rooting for them to become great, better and better friends, you're constantly on the edge of your seat. Like this secret is going to, like, is threatening to drop at like any moment. And it's like such an explosive secret that it's going to like just destroy everyone's lives. And it's so brilliantly done. And, the, and you're on a knife edge the whole show like 10 episodes it's just it's like you're never given a moment to, to kind of relax and it's funny and the characters ring incredibly true and it's kind of it's it's beautiful and the friendships just like can they really resonate uh but there's just this incredible sense of like drama and suspense and plot twists and it's just brilliantly done and the first season ended a little while ago on this incredible kind of mic drop plot mm -hmm. twist that left you like desperately wanting to know what would happen next and this and the season two is just it either has just dropped or it's about to drop on netflix so that's been like my the show that i'm most anticipating a season two of we're, we're, we're getting it now so i can't wait to get back into the world of those characters oh i completely agree i thought that was one of the best shows i had watched last year um and i was sad i couldn't cover it for work but i would love to talk to people more about this show and tell people to watch the show because yeah because it's, it's like it's you said, not a genre it's so show. Well acted. it's yeah, not exactly. a sci-fi or a fantasy show it's just a show mm -hmm. about two people two people's lives but it's yeah. so well done from a character point of view that it really is i think and again i'm a writer by trade so i i look at it just 
from a like through a professional eye i'm just in awe of how well written the show mm. is yeah i completely agree and recommend that show lucy what are you watching so I'm balancing uh, one heavy thing with one very light thing. So <laughs> my roommates and I watched, uh, oh, what's it called? Married at First Sight mm-hmm. um, oh, <laughs> on Friday. But they stretched that out over such a long, it's, it's under the guise of a social experiment, matching people and then they get married the first time they see each other. It's under the guise of social experiment. It's just trashy TV. None of them ever yeah. really stay together. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine that anyone sticks around in, in that relationship after the show. No, but they, they stretch yeah. it out over something like 10 episodes when really you want to see who the people are, them getting married, and then you want to see, you know, the two months down the line, are they going to stay together or break up? So mm-hmm. Jen and I, my roommate, watched, you know, Pretty much just those. We skipped, I think, maybe six episodes just to get to the meat and the drama. So that's our trash TV. Um, <laughs> and then the other side of it is I'm, I'm finally watching Devs. I, nice. I've heard you guys say such wonderful that, things about it. Yeah, that that really is light and heavy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I've been watching it. And How have you been liking it? I, I love it. I have two episodes mm-hmm. left. I yes. didn't really know that much about it going into it. I'm a big fan of Alex Garland. Um, I love the games he's written and the movies that he's worked on. And so it's very Alex Garland. There are some bits in it where I think people act very, I don't know, like robotic. But I, th- mm-hmm. I but I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a kind of like all the, a lot of emotion is stripped away. And it's just the the real core of these characters where it's just they're trying to get through these weird events that are happening around them. But it's really good writing. I really enjoy it and it's it like kind of strips away all the all the superfluous stuff and just mm-hmm. gets down to brass tacks I really like it I love the set the production design on it too like it yeah. looks stunning it's um, really well so done that, so do yeah. you feel like you take like one a day like what's your how are you watching it two two mm-hmm. in a go because they're only 45 minutes and I like yeah. that it's a limited series and so um, I think tonight, well, it's my it's my other roommate's birthday tonight, so maybe not tonight, but this week definitely I'm going to finish it. Uh, and then my next, and I already know what I have lined up, is my heavy show, which is Ozark. Yes. <laughs> so I've fallen so far behind. That's, Ryan's all, caught, all up caught up on that. I, I binged that immediately. He, he recommended I binged, it. I binged that uh, last season like immediately as soon as it went yeah. live. Uh, it's, it's a lot, though. It's a lot at once to, to kind of catch up. Lucy, you obviously, we, we work on Westworld together. How, how, do, you, yes. how do you compare devs with, with this last season of Westworld? So it's a bit strange because you can certainly see where people are making the comparisons. I think Mm -hmm. Westworld started this season really strong and although I'm still enjoying it, it has definitely tapered off for me. Some of the character motivations are just really not clear. And I think Devs is the complete opposite where for me it started off like it was fine, but it wasn't really until I understood where it was going and the stakes that were involved and all the characters started to unravel their motivations where I was like, oh my God, okay, this is... The sci-fi show and, and the way that it's been delivering, I'm not going to spoil, but there are some really heavy <laughs> beats that keep dropping in that show. I think one happens in episode four or five and I was just, that I had to stop. I was like, oh, I'm just going to watch yeah. some YouTube videos of cats for a bit. <laughs> so I think they're both like great pieces of sci-fi just in different yeah. ways. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Um, Yeah, I've been watching Little Fires Everywhere um, on Hulu, which is the show with uh, Reese Witherspoon, and um, it's kind of like, it's like a show you would recommend to people that enjoyed uh, Big Little Lies, Mm. but it's not 
quite the same, and it's not quite at the same level, but it's, it's still really enjoyable, very good acting, um, but yeah, it's for that same audience, for sure, and um, I've been enjoying it, but I'm only halfway through, and I want to see where it's going, and it it's more heavily um, in tune with um, class issues and race issues, um, and but Reese plays a very similar character to Hubert, <clears throat> to her Big Little Lies character, which I found interesting. Mm. Um, and she's also the producer of it. And uh, yeah, it's pretty good. But the most fun thing about watching that show is that it takes place in 1997. Oh, and you nice. can spot all of the different pop culture references in it. Like someone buys a copy of YM with the Spice Girls on it. And I remember distinctly <laughs> buying that same issue of YM in 1997. And they go to a school dance and they're playing Chumbawamba and the cardigans. And it's it's fantastic. It's, it's just fun every episode to like pick out all the... 90s references. I'm having a really good time with that. All right, the next section is this just in. So let's talk about a couple of the big stories this week. So the first one is that Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is coming to Disney Plus on Star Wars Day, May 4th. So that means that every Star Wars movie will be available on the service. So that's the news, but I have a question for you guys. I'm going to start with Gary. What is the best Star Wars viewing order, do you think? Um, listen, as someone who is you know involved in the Star Wars universe, I, this question has come across my desk many a time and i get a little bit frustrated because i've seen all these different orders doing it this way and that machete <laughs> order all these kind of you know weird orders and i gotta say I, I i have a terrible shameful incident in my past when i first met my wife many years ago um she had not seen the star wars movies and i said well I'll, I'll stop Ooh. stop everything we're gonna watch them right now <laughs> and at this point yes. there was the, at this point there was the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy and i thought it would be interesting if we watch them in chronological order and that ended. And my wife has still never forgiven me to this day because it's a terrible, <laughs> terrible way to watch the Star Wars movies for the first time. And it helped crystallize my thinking on this. I strongly, strongly believe that you should watch the Star Wars movies in the order in which they were made. And it's just that simple. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. Lucy, Ryan, any other alternate orders that you have? I agree with chronological because mm -hmm. we did the exact same thing with a friend of mine at university. And although she was weirdly, weirdly into the prequels, she really much, she really enjoyed the uh, the third one. Um, yeah, I would say chronological. I think as well, just because then you can see how franchise, uh, how Star Wars as a franchise has evolved over time. Wait, if you um, say chronological, you're saying watch the prequels oh, first. Oh, no, it's in in this in the uh, the release? chronological okay. release order. How they right, were made. Right. Right. Yeah, when got they it, made. got it, got it. Um, yeah, and just see how they kind of grow bigger and more spectacular over time i mean just think i mean just think about it this way one of the greatest reveals in star wars history and i'm going to spoiler alert if no one's seen the star wars movies just, you know be upfront about it you know when darth vader reveals to luke skywalker that he in the end that the empire at the end of empire strikes back that he's his father that's one of the great mic drops in cinematic history if you watch mm -hmm. the movies if you watch the prequels first that reveal is meaningless because you already mm -hmm. know all mm -hmm. of that totally. stuff yep yeah it it totally ruins that experience, uh, which, yes, you should experience from the original trilogy first. Um, where would you place a Rogue One, then? I, again, I would, I would watch them in the order in which they were released. Although, I mean, I mean, for the first, certainly for the first time, that's absolutely what I would recommend. Uh, beyond that, watch them in any order you want. Um, you know, a lot of people have done this, and it, the, the Rogue One was, to some extent, written with this in mind. You can watch Rogue One and the original Star Wars back to back because you know it, it, they 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 basically kind of almost overlap. Rogue One ends like right where A New Hope begins, and you can watch them back to back. And that's 
kind of a cool thing to do, but you shouldn't watch them the first time that way. Yeah, mm. I agree with that. I think, yeah, if you've seen them all already, it's kind of a fun double feature, um, and it's yeah, it's very rewarding and to watch those two movies back to back. But yeah, if you're what if you're showing it to someone for the first time, I agree with you. Um, my own personal rewatch would just be in probably a random order because I've seen them all many times. All right, next story is Hellraiser series in the works at HBO. This is from The Hollywood Reporter. So HBO is developing a potential TV series based on the Hellraiser movies. And so David Gordon Green, who did Halloween 2018 and Pineapple Express, is on board to direct a pilot and additional episodes. And it's going to be written by Mark Verheiden, who did Time Cops, Smallville, Battlestar Galactica, and Michael Doherty, who did King of the Monsters, Krampus, Trick or Treat. Let's see. So Ryan... Are you a fan of Hellraiser? I think you said. You I mean, were, I, right? I, yeah. I, I, I watched like I watched like the original Hellraiser back in the day. I, I couldn't even tell. What, how many are there? Are we up on Hellraisers? Like nine, seven? There's ten, I think. Ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't be considered like a, a big fan of Hellraiser, yeah. but I think that HBO has has adapted and uh, you know produced enough like really good quality stuff. Or uh, you know even like as as recently as as the Watchmen and see how they adapted that with the right people behind behind the show. Um, you know, they put out good stuff. So, like, I'll give it a look for sure if it's mm -hmm. on HBO um, be because of, th of that alone. And it sounds like they have the right people behind it. Um, so, yeah, I'm in. I'll give it a shot for sure. Yeah. Gary, Lucy, any thoughts on Hellraiser? It's not for me personally. And I don't, mm. you know, it's like I, I, I get that. I think that Hellraiser is legitimate, like in a modern horror classic. And um, uh, I, I'm a big fan of Clive Barker. I've read many of his books, but that particular piece, Hellraiser, like all of the kind of the you know people being flayed alive and the, the body horror of it all. That's I get that there are people that are into that. It's not my cup of mm -hmm. tea. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that and I think that it was almost a little bit of a victim of its own success. Like the Halloween movies, like the first one or two were like real classics. Um, but then you know because they kept making money, they kept making them. And by the time you get to like Hellraiser or Halloween. 12 or whatever it's like why, why are we still doing this um but you know when you reboot something there's an opportunity to kind of make it fresh again and come at it from a new angle so we'll see who knows yeah lucy do you think this will work for a 2020 audience i mean i can't really say that i'm a huge hellraiser fan i remember seeing them when i was probably far too young i remember they were on late night tv so i can't even really remember what the main premise of it is but Honestly, I frequently say that HBO is the best $15 I spend every month, so <laughs> I'm definitely going to give it a shot. I, I think the talent that they've surrounded the project with, I mean, Battlestar Galactica, Halloween 2018, some strong movies and TV shows in there. I'll be into it. I mean, after, after I mean, I thought Watchmen, adapting Watchmen was the unthinkable, and I will go on record and say that I, I enjoyed Zack Snyder's movie a lot, mm -hmm. but creating a new story within that universe is unthinkable and to do it so well so hbo they've got the the green card from me agreed all right the next section is you should be watching and this week we are talking about our favorite fantasy films so there are plenty to choose from you can go as far back as you want let's start with you ryan ryan what's your favorite fantasy film or films well <laughs> I know I'm not going to be as big a fan as Lucy is. <laughs> she already mentioned The Princess Bride. You but can both talk about it. I would it. have to say that The Princess Bride, growing up watching that movie, uh, it just changed my life. Like, just uh, how, much, how, f how funny it was, uh, adventurous. It has the romance. It has, like, all the, the, the just the be a beautiful story. Um, and it's so quotable. I, I remember mm -hmm. just, like, as a young, like, growing up, just, like, quoting all of it, uh, as you wish, inconceivable. <laughs> and then... 
as a young young boy growing up, then seeing Andre the Giant in a movie. I mean, it was like mind blowing to like <laughs> see this and like just to kind of uh, yeah. I, I so I've watched that numerous times throughout my life. Obviously, um, I also want to shout out Never Ending Story oh, as yeah. well because. Um, you know, heavy into the, those. Those are like the early, when I think back of the fantasy films that I watched when I was little, um, those are like the really that are imprinted on me um, since the beginning. Now, I didn't actually read uh, the book, uh, The Princess Bride. Um, I just kind of just jumped right into the films and just would rewatch over and over and over again. Mm. Are you going to watch it again when it comes to Disney Plus? Hell yes. <laughs> yes, immediately. May 1st, right? Uh, it's in May. I forgot I, the date. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I, I marked it on the calendar. I marked it on, as soon as you told me this, mm-hmm. I, I marked it on the calendar. I'm definitely going to rewatch it. Nice. Uh, I, I can't say enough good things about that yeah. film. Since we're on the topic and since it was one of your favorite movies or the ones that matches your personality, Lucy, do you want to continue mm. more and expound on The Princess Bride? Oh, man. It's such... I mean, I think the thing that I love about it is that it's an enjoyable movie from for all ages because as a kid there are some jokes in there that just completely go over your head but then as you get older you're, you're like you really appreciate just how funny it is and how many tropes it pulls on and the characters inside it and the way that the actors are all perfect for each role i have a copy of um carrie ells's book um as you wish and it's basically just him talking about all the great behind the scenes stories and how how much booze it would take for Andre the Giant to get drunk. And one yeah. time, I think... How much? Pa- <laughs> a lot. Like, he passed out in, uh, I think it was the hallway of a hotel, and oh, no wow. one could move him, so they just co- yeah. cordoned him off in the hallway of the hotel. And it, But it's like... It's a, sh- it's a movie where you can just tell that everyone working on it had a great time, and they all really love each other. And I think that just comes through the screen. And as a kid, I just remember being completely in love with it. And then it's, it's a comfort for me going back it's like a sick day movie yeah um which i like fred savage in his bed exactly listening to the story (laughs) yeah is this a kissing book it's wild (laughs) to me that he does it's always sunny in philadelphia now yeah because i will always consider him the kid from the princess bride now he's doing uh Mm -hmm. sunny yeah and the wonder years yeah Mm. that's where i always think of him too um and I know that you are a huge fan of The Lord of the Rings, so yeah. please tell us why it's so, uh, they are some of your favorite fantasy films. I think as well it comes down to comfort. So mm-hmm. as a kid, I used to read a lot of Tolkien. I had the, Gary, do you remember the, the radio, was it the Radio 4 play? Yes, I do. With John LeMessurier and Bill Nye and Ian Holm, which was fantastic and I was the kind of kid who had to listen to things before they went to sleep and I would go to sleep listening to this play radio play of Lord of the Rings and so when they brought it to film I I didn't really know what to expect I think I was about 10 or 11 when they when the first one came out and I just didn't expect to see this world that I'd only ever dreamt of come to life in such a great way and I think I'm one of those purists now I can't (laughs) go back to theatrical my boyfriend was saying that he hasn't watched the films in a long time and I said oh we can watch them together and he was like oh where's the theatrical streaming I was like no (laughs) I I can't go back I mean obviously you have to make cuts to make things run to time but the things that were cut and then added back in the extended editions are so worthwhile and I think it's just there are some scenes that just like 
I think out of the trilogy, I think the Two Towers is always my favorite because you have all the stuff with Rohan. The end destruction of Isengard is probably one of my favorite ever movie scenes, and I think a big part of that is because of the Howard Shaw's score. But oh, those movies are just something really special. I think uh, there are some bits, you know, you know the bit at the end of the the Return of the King where they all come in and Frodo's in bed. Yeah. And <laughs> it's a good meme. That's absolutely <laughs> terrible. <laughs> From a, film, from a filmmaking point of view, it's one of the worst scenes I've ever seen, but it's still a remarkable achievement. And I, and I, it's one of those films where it came out in sort of the golden age of uh, DVD and uh, movie behind the scenes yeah. stuff. The DVD yeah. extras on the Lord of the Rings are phenomenal. Uh, I think there's like a full twenty four hours on wow. each movie, wow. and That's just a learning lot of about Lord of the Rings content. Just learning about how they made it with the miniatures and the bigotures and the the actors, like the scale doubles for the hobbits wearing those weird masks and all the behind the scenes stories. I mean, it's not. It's I'm. I think my love of Lord of the Rings isn't even about Lord of the Rings anymore. Mm-hmm. It's about everything connected to those movies, <laughs> like the time in which they came out in my life. The yeah. it's countless like they had hours. So much fun making it. Like everyone that yeah. was involved just became this family, and they got tattoos, and yeah, they were just except for John Reese Davis, right? And they were just making these back to back. Gary, mm-hmm. you have any thoughts on Lord of the Rings? Um, I'm like Lucy's boyfriend. I I liked the movies a lot, and I um, it's t- still to this day, of course, who wouldn't who would deny that they're just this incredible cinematic achievement? Like the fact that anyone had. Mm-hmm the balls and the vision to make something that horrendously ambitious, almost impossible. And like, you know, that's why the behind the scenes, as Lucy says, is so fascinating because they had to make those movies. They had to, um, you know, create entirely new technologies and do things that had never even been considered before. And when I first saw the movies in the theater, I remember thinking, this is amazing. This is like cinema history. And then I never watched them again. I, I don't know why I never they're felt long. the need to go back to them again. Cause they're very long. Yeah. That might <laughs> yeah. be it. Very long. Yeah. I was thinking now is a perfect time to go back and rewatch them. Yeah, so I might. I, I do. I have the extended. Bl- I bought the extended it. Blu-rays ages ago. I never took the wrapper off it. I should. I should sit down and watch them again. Yeah, mine are back in the UK. I should get my mum to ship them over. Yeah, now's the time. Get them shipped over. I, I, so I never saw the Hobbit films. Are, are they worth or no? We do you have to off? mention that, Lucy? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is it How a big drop off? The Hobbit. The Hobbit is such a strange trilogy of movies to me because they were caught up in development hell for a while. Del Toro was attached and, you know, that seemed to be when everything was at peace. And then Del Toro left and I think the story goes that poor Peter Jackson and uh, Philippa Boys and Fran Walsh had to basically scramble and scrap, I think it was a year and a half of pre-production and just start making it within, I think, a month. It's something crazy. And so from that point of view... You can appreciate the Hobbit movies because like, it's a miracle that they even got made. But there are some bizarre choices in it, like stretching a 300-page children's book into three two-and-a-half-hour-long movies is a choice. Yeah. The bizarre love triangle, another choice. <laughs> um, they just don't have the magic. And I think, honestly, part of that is the fact that, that it's filmed in... Was it 48 frames a second? It looks like a soap opera. (laughs) Like, there's too much detail. There's a scene where, you know, they're escaping from the the barrel chase scene, where they Mm -hmm. cut between, you know, this super high frame camera to a GoPro. And it's so weird. 
painful to watch. Yeah, Yeah, it's painful to watch and it's annoying. But then you learn about, you know, all the stuff that Lord of the Rings brought to New Zealand, like unionizing um, and everything. But you kind of see how how those movies have kind of been a blessing and a curse for New Zealand. Lindsay Ellis has a fantastic uh, three-part documentary on YouTube about the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, um, which I really encourage you to watch if you're interested in it. But I don't recommend watching The Hobbit. Yeah, I'd say you could <laughs> skip The Hobbit, Ryan. Just rewatch okay. every yeah. every like yeah. extended version of Lord of the Rings and all 24 hours of the extra content. Yes, <laughs> it's probably exactly. time definitely better spent. Dig out, dig out the radio <laughs> play. The radio play is one of my favorite interpretations of Lord of the Rings. Oh, like where, it has it has its own that? music. It's probably on on YouTube now. Mm. This is from mm. in the eighties. Mm, is it? Oh wow! I think the early eighties. But it's weird because Ian Holm plays Frodo, and he would obviously later on go to play Bilbo. It's very wow! Nice. Oh, that's so crazy! I had no idea that happened. That's yeah. awesome. Um, you mentioned his name earlier, and I just want to shout out Guillermo del Toro. Uh, <laughs> del Toro is incredible, and yeah. Um, yeah. I just rewatched Pan's Labyrinth uh, recently, and awesome. that movie hits pretty hard. Um, when I was younger and watching that, that that was yeah, I. I guess I blocked out how graphic it was, but it's but the creatures that were created for that were incredible. The fawn, the, the guy mm. with the hands, just st- stuck with me. One of the nightmares that have always like been etched in my brain. Um, I also loved Shape of Water. That was really good, mm-hmm. um, though it kind of took a turn, <laughs> an interesting <laughs> turn. But uh, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, and I also want to shout out to I guess Harry Potter counts, right? Harry Potter counts as fantasy? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would say so. Harry Potter Magic. series. But my favorite would be Prisoner of Azkaban. Do you guys yes. have favorites amongst that series? Oh, Azkaban. Yeah. It's the best story. Um, yeah. Even though I'm always kind of a bit iffy about time travel mm-hmm. as yeah. a plot device in movies, because I think so, on, you know, you, you, got the, you get your Back to the Futures where it's done incredibly well, but then you get your Men in Blacks where it's maybe not as done as well. And mm-hmm. I, I'm the type of person who will... Sp- sit and spend the whole whole time trying to figure out plot points because that's my irritating brain. <laughs> but Prisoner of Azkaban is an example of which where I love the time travel in it. Yeah, me too. Oh, and All it's right. so dark. Gary, you're up. What have you got for us? I'm very much a child of the 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. If you think about like 1980 to 1990, that was me from 8 to 18. So like that was the sweet spot for me in terms of being exposed to, you know, kind of fertile young imagination kind of, um, you know, uh, consuming all this classic science fiction. The eighties was a, a golden age for science fiction um, in in Hollywood, but also for fantasy. We don't think about this as much. It's kind of forgotten about now. Um, but and it, and it bums me out. It's real sad f- to me that, that this isn't really the case anymore. But like Hollywood used to make a lot of really great original fantasy. Like we've talked about Harry Potter. We talked about Lord of the Rings, and those are all, those are great movies based on you know, really famous books. But back in the day, Hollywood just made fantasy movies that weren't based on anything. Um, And they weren't necessarily great or even good. But, you know, at 12 years old, I didn't care. I just wanted to see cool uh, dudes and with swords and cool princesses and warriors and stuff like that. And so how how many of these movies you guys will even know or remember? Because again, I'm I'm kind of the old, uh, the old fart of the group here, but like, I'm going to throw out names like Krull, like Willow, like Legend, like Ladyhawk, 
mm-hmm. like never ending never ending story uh mm-hmm. came up earlier um uh dragon slayer you know these are all mm-hmm. like really cool movies that hollywood used to used to just make as original films and that doesn't happen anymore uh for the most part yeah. it really doesn't happen anymore unless you've got like a million selling book series like a harry potter or someone no one's going to take a risk on you know what it would cost to make you know a world with all these amazing visual effects and basically building a whole other fantasy universe but so i still i still think back very fondly uh to those movies uh from the 1980s uh like krull uh and legend and you know they haven't aged terribly well but you have to remember what, what, the way i look at look at them is like what they meant to me as like a 12 13 14 year old kid who was just being exposed to this stuff for the first time and, and thinking it was all uh amazing and it's a shame that hollywood doesn't really make the, the doesn't really make original fantasy anymore mm-hmm. which ones mm-hmm. were dearest to your heart which ones did you have toys for and just loved i don't know about toys most? but the one that always <laughs> stuck with me is one that i'm absolutely certain maybe lucy but even then i think this is probably before her time uh it's a british fantasy film by the name of hawk the slayer and it's absolutely awful it's just so bad <laughs> who's in that one so no, so Jack Palance, that was the one thing. They got Jack okay. Palance to play mm-hmm. the bad guy. And he plays this scheming villain called Voltan. And I would advise you, just just go, just type it into YouTube, watch the two-minute trailer, and you'll get exactly what I'm talking about. It's... Wait, is that the one mm-hmm. that Charlie Brooker used as inspiration for... Um, it's one of the Black Mirror there's like a fantasy guy and there's a bad guy i think called voltan or something very very similar maybe i'm not i'm not i'm not i may not know the black mirror uh reference because i haven't seen every episode but i wouldn't be surprised charlie's my age and Mm. he grew up in the uk so he probably grew up Mm. watching the same crap i did um uh yeah it's it's a it's a weird movie it's really cheap they basically went out into a forest and that's and that's (laughs) it that's the fantasy world And, and a lot of the fun of it is how cheap it is. Use it's your one of, imagination. It's one of those things where they got like a legitimately, like back in the 80s, Jack Palance was still a pretty big Hollywood star. And they, I think they probably spent 80% of the budget. They certainly didn't spend it anywhere else um, on, on Jack, but he wears this kind of you know, evil uh, helmet. And um, there's a good guy who you never heard of running around. And there's like a, a dwarf who isn't really dwarf, who's just a short dude. Like the giant is just a tall, a taller than average dude, and like it's they it's, they spent no money money on it at all. But it's a great, um, like midnight, like a midnight movie. Kind of, if you're in the mood to like kind of like just watch something really cheesy, but for like in a mystery science theater kind of way, Hawk the Slayer will deliver the goods big time. I lo- I genuinely genuinely love that movie. Oh, I wonder if it's streaming awesome. anywhere. You, you got to find it. Yeah, <laughs> got to hunt it That's down. That's a very midday on channel five on a sunday type of movie like i said five o'clock midnight yeah. it's good any time of yeah. the day <laughs> yeah. remind me of legend is that the one with tim curry yes tom cruise and yeah. tom cruise oh my gosh oh yeah. wow yeah that was tim the curry one was i, I was the... and the one it's lady hawk is the one that i always get confused about isn't that matthew broderick i think that's I matthew broderick think so. I, that one i i don't remember as much i don't think i've seen mm. it as often as the other ones Whenever I hear Lady Hawk, I just think of the band. <laughs> There's a band called Lady Hawk. I think so. I didn't even know that. I think so. I think so. Oh, wow. Did you ever watch it? I said, "What was the Sean Connery one? Dragon, Dragonheart, Dragonheart, Dragonheart yeah. yes, Dragonheart, Dragonheart. yeah." From the don't 90s. make him like that anymore. <laughs> that was that was a good one. Yeah, Sean Connery voicing that dragon. And that was <laughs> and that was an original as well. And that was around mm-hmm. the time that Hollywood just decided that it wasn't worth taking the risk spending money on big original fantasy or science fiction properties anymore and they just wanted to adapt things 
And mm-hmm. that, you know, as a writer who likes to try to generate original ideas and get them going in Hollywood, that's really uh, frustrating to me. But it's the, it's mm-hmm. unfortunately the world we live in. But I, and for that reason, I am very nostalgic and wistful about the golden age of Hollywood in the 1980s where they could come up with something like Krull, which is totally bonkers. And, and they actually made it. Mm-hmm. Have you written any fantasy pieces that haven't been made that you've just been holding near and dear to oh, yourself? Oh, sure. I mean, almost yeah. pretty much everything I've ever written has never been made. That's just the re- that's just the reality. You only see mm-hmm. the very tiny piece of the iceberg that kind of breaks the surface of the water. Almost everything that lurks underneath is all like my, my, my things that I've read, but you'll never get to see. I did. I um, When I was first learning, kind of teaching myself to screenwrite, um, I actually wrote a kind of fan fiction screenplay feature-length adaption, uh, adaptation of an old... Um, uh, computer role-playing game from the 80s called The Shard of Spring. And oh, wow. it was a, a very... I'm going to get very obscure with you on these references here, but it was like an old... Um, I think it was like an old D&D uh, campaign that got adapted into a uh, like a Commodore 64 game that I loved. And I, I loved it so much that I uh, wrote a uh, an adaptation uh, of it just to kind of teach... I was like teaching myself uh, to write movies and that, that was and, and that was kind of like a hobby... Uh, projects for me i wouldn't do it now because i'm too smart i would not waste my time mm-hmm. writing a big fan like I'll, I'll ask you now what was the last original we're talking about the, the kind of fantasy movies that we're talking about when was the last time you saw a new one that wasn't based on a, I, on a mega selling book i guess shape mm. of water right is that uh, it? does that even count i mean i don't know yeah i'm talking um, about something with like wizards and dragons and like it right. wasn't something that came that from wasn't a book I challenge nope. you to think of a recent one. Nope. Jeez, I can't. That's, that's a really tough one. Not in the last yeah. 10 years. It's real, nowadays, they're, they're, they're just trying to... They were all adapted. Re- yeah, it's a real, yeah, it's a real nowadays, shame. Yeah. And nowadays, they're just trying to like remake some of those ones that right. were you know right. big in the 80s for nostalgia fact. Like I think even Willow was going to be remade. I think Warwick Davis came out and said that... I think they're looking at... May, maybe about. looking at that as a TV show for Disney Plus was the last thing oh, yeah. I heard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a good movie, yeah. Willow. That's worth yes. a rewatch. I love that. Val Kilmer yeah, love that one. is, ba- is a badass Kilmer. in that movie. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. How old was Warwick Davis when that came out? Uh, he would have been, however, I mean, yeah, I think they made it a couple of years after Return of the Jedi. So yeah. I don't know. Young. I don't know. I like how he's, yeah, he's, he's just. He's still going strong. Constant presence. Yeah, he's, he's always around. Like he's been this constant presence my entire life. He was in Rogue One. <laughs> yes. Oh my yeah. gosh, he was. Yeah, I think he's been been in most Star Wars movies. I think I don't know about yeah, he's been in a lot of them. I think that at this point, at this point, he's like one of those guys that they they always find something for him to do because it's just become like a part of Star Wars tradition for him to be in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Does Miyazaki count as fantasy? Because I want to shout out to Miyazaki as well. Yes, and um, through anime, right? Yeah. uh, Yes, and through my Mm -hmm. daughter's eyes, I. fell in love with Miyazaki movies. I never would have thought to kind of watch them myself, but when my daughter got into them, she loves uh, my neighbor uh, Totoro. My neighbor Totoro. I got sucked into that. But that's not my favorite. I'll, okay, I'll give you... Can you guess what my favorite Miyazaki movie is? Oh, Princess Mononoke? Nope. Ponyo? Nope. That's my, uh, that's my daughter's favorite, Ponyo. Spirited Away? Nope. Uh, Laputa? No, castle in the sky. There's not, there's, there's, we're running out of them. You're gonna get. Gonna, Kiki's it's, it's, delivery gonna be one service. Left. Yeah. What is it? Kiki's delivery service. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Here we go. That's by far yeah, my favorite. I love, I love it. I love Kiki. It's so good. Kiki's. So and good. I like but her yeah, little. I like her little cat. Yes. Oh my gosh. So cute. Yeah. I love the Miyazaki films. I love Studio Ghibli movies. Uh, they just really 
made my imagination run wild as a child and I remember renting My Neighbor Totoro multiple times and my mom's like can I just buy this VHS and they're like no this is our only copy so eventually I was able to get the DVD when it came out on DVD when I was a little bit older but I love that movie so much Um, they're really all all the Miyazaki movies are really fascinating to me as someone who kind of like studies film and thinks about it a lot you know because it's my job um, mm-hmm. in that they're tremendously successful and Western audiences love them. Like we're all here talking about how much we love Miyazaki mm-hmm. movies and yet they don't conform to any of Hollywood's rules about cinematic storytelling. Like they're yes. really, they're really low stakes. Like there's very, very rarely anything significant at stake. Um, very little happens. Like if you look at the structure of Kiki's delivery service or Totoro, it's like almost nothing happens. It's just like the life of a child. And, you know, and that's what's beautiful and whimsical about them. That's why we respond to them. And yet, strangely, Hollywood seems to have learned nothing from that. And they continue to make the same formulaic <laughs> films uh, that they do. I honestly don't think that, that we here in the West would know, even if we tried to, would know how to make a Miyazaki movie. I think it would end up feeling like exactly what it would, what it would be, which is a bad knockoff. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, uh, they also, I like that they didn't, when they dubbed them, they didn't try to change anything about the movies themselves. Like they, they did a good job bringing it to Yeah, and they got great actors and actresses to come in and play those parts as well. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Uh, Lucy, you have any favorite Miyazaki films? Probably My Neighbor Totoro, yeah. too. I actually went to the Ghibli Museum in outside of Tokyo a couple yeah. years ago, and mm-hmm. it's so, like, I hate to say it, it's magical. It's it magical. magical. Yeah. And the fact that you're not allowed to take pictures inside, it just kind of adds to the experience because you're spending the whole time just absorbed in it. And the fact that they show you, they have a rotating little theater with different movies in. And so I, I assume the one that I saw was completely different to the one that you saw when you went, but it's mm-hmm. super magical. And I spent so much money in that gift shop. Oh, yeah. So much money. Me too. But it was so worth it. <laughs> That is it for this episode of You Should Be Watching. Thank you so much to Lucy and Gary for joining us. Tell them where to follow you and what you're working on right now. Gary, do you want to go first? Start with you, Gary. Um, uh, you can always... So the number one place to follow me is uh, on Twitter. That's at uh, Gary Witter, G-A-R-Y-W-H-I-T-T-A. And then I'm all about right now, I'm all about promoting my new talk show, my new late night talk show, Animal Talking, the only late night talk show in the world that takes place entirely within the world of Animal Crossing. It it really is as ridiculous um, as it sounds. Uh, And that's at twitch.tv slash Gary Witter, G-A-R-Y-W-H-I-T-T-A. You can watch it live or you can find episodes on YouTube on my YouTube channel uh, the very next day. Uh, Lucy, what would you like to plug and where can we follow you? Uh, So this week, uh, well... Uh, early next week more like will be the Westworld finale mm-hmm. so I think it's I think it's a feature length episode too yeah um, so me and Tam will be digging into that with Ryan's help too uh, so definitely look out for that youtube.com slash GameSpot Universe other than that I appear on like a bunch of features on GameSpot we'll, I'll be on the podcast this week um, but other than GameSpot that GameSpot After Dark GameSpot After Dark every mm-hmm. Friday morning other than that just on Twitter at Lucy James Games All right, and if you've got any questions or comments about this episode, or you're looking for something for us to recommend, whether it's a certain genre or streaming service, reach out to us. That's ysbw at gamespot.com, ysbw at gamespot.com. You can also listen to this very show on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And you can find me on Twitter at chastity underscore v and Ryan. At Ryan Eric B. 
Alright, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye!